Hi, this is Molly Madigan Pistula from Vanilla Bean Cuisine, and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. I'd love to take a moment to tell you about Clarity. Clarity is a powerful tool that allows you to organize, optimize, and update your blog content for maximum growth. Clarity gives you unparalleled insights into the ways that your content can be stronger and more valuable for your readers. Not only does it help you optimize your extensive library of blog content so you can increase your traffic, SEO ranking, and revenue, it also allows you to validate your updates with a direct integration to Google Analytics. Some bloggers are tracking this information manually with multiple spreadsheets and countless hours spent uncovering the data they need in Google Analytics. Clarity automatically syncs all of your data for you, saving you hours upon hours of admin tasks. All of your post information appears in Clarity. Everything is done directly from your Clarity dashboard, and you can be confident in the fact that you're getting the most up-to-date insights to the health of your content. If you are interested in checking out Clarity, head to clarity.com forward slash eatblogtalk. Clarity is spelled C-L-A-R-I-T-I dot com forward slash eatblogtalk to sign up for the waitlist and take advantage of their $25 a month forever plan. Go to clarity.com forward slash eatblogtalk or check out the resources page on eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources. Hey, food bloggers, welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and the confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 321. Today, I have Molly Madigan Pasula with me from Vanilla Bean Cuisine, and she's going to talk to us about how food blogging can give you the opportunity to live a mobile life. Molly started her career in high-tech marketing at Apple, but quit to become a personal chef when her first daughter was born. After 12 years, Molly has made the transition into food blogging, and her focus is on healthy seasonal recipes, both savory and sweet. Molly, how are you doing today? It's so great to have you here. I am great, Megan. It is happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Yay. Okay. We want to hear your fun fact before we dig into this awesome topic. Okay. So my fun fact is, uh, as you noted in my bio, I was a personal chef for a long time. And that was a really fun life. And I had a bunch of clients that were, you know, interesting and fun. And one of them, I got contacted one day by this woman who was the head of the local chapter of a society called the Nero Wolf Literary Society. And if you don't know what Nero Wolf is, he's a fictional detective. <laughs> and these novels go back, they were written from like the 1930s to the 1970s. And there are like 40, no, 70 books in this Nero Wolf um, series. And there are people who are just like huge fans of this detective. Oh. And he is um, famously in the books kind of a gourmand and he's, you know, always there's a food component in a lot of the books. And so this woman called and said she wanted to do a five course meal for their club for this chapter. Um, but they wanted the menu to be from a particular book in this oh. series. And so the book was from, from um, 1938 and it, oh my had, goodness. <laughs> it had recipes in the back of it, but you know, the recipes were like, you know, for like partridge and like, <laughs> like some <laughs> weird things that we don't really eat anymore. And so I had to like go through these recipes and come up with a five course menu um, using using oh. the recipes, but like with today's ingredients and then um, serve it to them for their like annual meeting of their society. And um, it was just, it was so much fun. I thought it was a really unique thing to have done. And I was happy to do it. 1938. I cannot even believe how old that is. And was it well received? Was all the food really well received? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say it was delicious. The recipes were were still really good, even though I had to play around a little bit with um, the ingredients. Yeah, I bet you are a magician. I bet it came out fantastically, but that is so cool. I've never heard anything like that before. And I've never heard of that book series either. Yeah, no, I hadn't before um, this woman contacted me, but it is 
apparently quite popular in some circles. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay, Molly, you're here to talk about living a mobile life and how this can give food bloggers freedom. And I want to hear your story because you guys moved internationally, you moved abroad. Um, so just tell us why you decided to do that. Yeah. So my husband and I had always talked about moving abroad someday. And me personally, I had always wanted to live internationally. I didn't do it when I was in college and sort of always regretted that. And, you know, a few years ago, we were talking and we were just kind of like, okay, that someday, (laughs) like we we need to make that happen or it's just never going to happen. And so he, my husband works for Apple and they have, um, he's an engineer and they have a, an engineering office in Paris. And we were kind of like, okay, well, if a job comes up and, you know, there's something that we can do internationally, let's think about it. Like I'm really mobile. Um, and if he could move too, that would be great. So, um, so he ended up getting a job offer in the Paris office and we thought, Okay, this is this is it. This is the opportunity. We decided we would go for two years, and you know, it, it was just a desire to kind of break out of the routine, to to see the world, to be inspired with new foods, and also to give our family an experience that you know we just wouldn't have if we um, never left home. Where are you at in the two year stretch? So, so we're home now. We've done, we've done our stretch um, ah. and we came back. Yeah. So now we're back in the States um, and sort of readjusting to life yeah. <laughs> back on the side of the pond. Yeah. What would you say now having experienced it, looking back, what did you like about living in Europe? How did it benefit your family and also you as a food blogger? Uh, you know, I... I love it. I think the the biggest thing that I got from the experience is just being exposed to a different culture and a different sort of way of life. Um, and, you know, this is probably true of most places that you would go outside of the U.S., but certainly in France, where we were, um, there's such a different importance placed on, on enjoyment, on, you know, appreciating life on eating well on you know taking time taking vacation time taking time to be with your family taking long meals um and i felt like i felt like when we were back here we we live outside of, in the suburbs of washington dc and it's a very very constantly on place to live in the world it's very busy People are constantly doing things and there's a lot of stress to it. And I found that going to a different place where there was a different value sort of placed on, you know, enjoying life while, you know, while we're here, we, we don't know how much time we have left. And um, I just really loved like walking outside my door and seeing, you know, people sitting in the French cafe, you know, for three hours, taking a long lunch with a bottle of wine And then going back to work, like it it wasn't even people on vacation, like this, you know, this was just part of the lifestyle and doing like Sunday family dinners um, with all of their relatives. Um, And so, you know, from a family perspective, I I really liked that because I just thought, you know, people really, they really put a focus on family and really put a focus on, you know, just taking some time to yourself to to relax and enjoy life. And I think as a food blogger, I mean, there's so many advantages as a food blogger, because, you know, I was just completely exposed to a different, a different type of cooking, a different set of ingredients. Um, As a seasonal food blogger, it was fascinating to me because suddenly I was in like, a different part of the world where there were different things in the market at different times. um, And being able to to explore those and, you know, talk to the vendors about like, okay, well, you know, I've never seen this ingredient before, how would you cook it? Or what do you do with this? Um, I got so much creative inspiration from that, um, that I just, I I absolutely loved it. 
Sign me up, please. That sounds amazing. Your description of somebody just taking a long lunch and enjoying wine, that does not happen over it here. It does not happen, no. And it makes me sad to think that. Like, why is that? We're just in this race and it's so hard to set ourselves apart and be different because we're in it. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I thought the same thing about, you know, some. so when my husband started working, he... That in France, they actually have a rule that you can't work, I think you can't work more than 35 hours a week. Oh. And, um, and so at Apple where, you know, it, it was, I mean, it's actually more than a 40 hours a week job, but, you know, technically it's a 40 hours a week job because it's an American company. And so he would get five hours a week of vacation time that oh. was then added to his vacation time, which in the French system is huge, like so much more than we get in the US. And people there use it like people go on vacation all Mm. the time. And, you know, I feel like there's such a culture in the States of, you know, all these people who like don't even use their vacation time, or, you know, it's just go, go, go all the time. And oh, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to plan a vacation. I don't have time to take time off. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to see a different, a different type of lifestyle where people are like, no, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be gone for the next two weeks. You know, what are you doing? I have personally never understood that whole thing. Like I don't have time for vacation because I'm such a vacation person. I thrive on taking vacations and getting away and experiencing life and enjoying my family in different settings. I love it. So I just do not, I don't get it. (laughs) I just don't understand. I know. (laughs) I know. But how do we incorporate that way of life into our thinking and maybe set ourselves apart by being a little different? It's so hard. But do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I know it is really hard. I mean, I think that having a conscious decision with yourself, like a making the conscious decision that, hey, I see this going on around me. And I that is not what my priority is. And what my priority is, is, you know, I want to spend time with my family, I want to see the world, I want to take vacation and, you know, recharge my creative brain cells. And, you know, when you can kind of say to yourself, like, okay, these, these are the things that are important to me, these are my priorities. And now, here's how I'm going to make them happen. You know, whether you're thinking about that once a year or a couple times a year. Um, I think that that's the way to do it because it's so easy to just get keep going in your everyday and like never pick your head up and say like, wait a minute, you know, what am I doing? Like, if I just keep doing this, I'm never going to stop. Like, (laughs) you have to kind of tell yourself like, hey, um, these are some things that I want to do and then find a way to, to make time for them and plan them out. Because if you don't, it, it just doesn't happen. Yes, I absolutely love that. And this applies to so many things in our culture in America, where I feel like people like the herd does certain things. And we just go along with it. Like it's that herd mentality. And I've always been the type of person to almost rebel against the herd. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think that's just in my DNA. And sometimes that serves me and sometimes it doesn't. I always look at things like, why is everyone doing this? I'm not going to follow them just because they're doing it. Um, and sometimes like, there's a good reason to be doing that. And sometimes there's not. So I, I think there are two perspectives on that. Like, I really need to evaluate why I'm not following the herd, if it's a good thing or bad thing. But this, I feel like, is one way that I can be different and um, take a step back and look at the way society is doing things, I guess, like this. Why aren't we taking vacations? Why are we so busy? Why are we fast-paced? Like you were talking about Washington, D.C. and the way everyone's always busy and doing something. Um, yeah. I think we need to do that more often, just step back and look at that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that the other thing that I noticed in France is to, in comparison to being here is that, you know, in the U.S., like, it's really hard even to like invite a friend over for dinner. Like 
you got to have your calendars out and you know, and this friend can't do it this day and this friend can't do it this day. And, <laughs> That's so you know, true. There, it, it is so hard to plan anything that I find that like I have friends who live, you know, six blocks from me that I never see because it's always like, oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, we should totally catch up. Like, and we don't. And I noticed that, you know, in France, it just seemed like the people there, like that, that was part that part of their priority was like, okay, let's meet for a drink after work. Um, and just, you know, spend an hour together and just hang out like no pressure, no big commitment. But they really did a better job of like, kind of making time for the people they care about. And I, I think that's another thing that just gets lost if you don't say you're going to carve out time to do it because you know we just all get stuck in this what we're doing and it, it and there's never time it's not like somebody you know walks over to your house and is like hey you want to you know sit on the porch and have a drink of coffee like that never yeah. happens here and i really wish it would because it's those kind of like small moments that actually could be really great but i feel like it just doesn't it doesn't happen for whatever reason. That makes me sad. I I literally just felt like I could get teary right now because that's how life should be, prioritizing relationships and people. And right. what we do instead is we say exactly what you were just saying. Like, I don't have time to do that. I can't meet you for a glass of wine or a coffee. And that is so sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's I know. And, okay, but not to bring us down. I know, <laughs> but 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 here, but here's the good thing. Like this is what I think. You know, when you were saying that you feel like you've sort of been a kind of against the grain kind of person. Like I, I feel like a lot of food bloggers are in that category, don't you? Oh, like, interesting. I've never like given that thought before. Chosen, I I think so. Like I think we've chosen a path that mm-hmm. really is pretty different from a lot of, you know, normal jobs out there. And, you know, so if that says something about, you know, the personality you have to be to be a food blogger, I don't know. But I will certainly say that, you know, food blogging gives you a lot of flexibility. It does give you a lot of ability to do some of those things that, you know, if you were working a, you know, nine to six job every day, or, you know, you're working some like 60 hour consulting gig, like, there's no, there's no flexibility, there's no time in there. But when you have a job that's a little more flexible, you can like carve out those spots. And, you know, you can say like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna work like hell for this month, and I'm gonna get ahead in a couple of my blog posts, and then I'm gonna take two weeks off, and I'm gonna just relax and enjoy and you have more flexibility than Um, a lot of people out there. So, you know, we should use it. Well, you've convinced me to move abroad. So my husband's going to be like, wait, who did you talk to today? (laughs) Um, So let's talk about that. Like, how hard was it to actually make the move? Yeah, so, so I will say that it was both harder and easier than I thought it would be. It was difficult, but it is doable. And you know, I remember talking to people before we left and, you know, and I would say like, oh, yeah, you know, we're getting ready for this international move. And people would be like, oh, I just I couldn't do that. Like, I, I could never do that. And, you know, or like, I would love to, but I, I could never do that. And, oh, and yes. I wanted to say like, but you you can, you can. It's not, it's not easy, but it is possible. Um, and, you know, once you start just like being... Um, you know, taking a look at all the things that you have to do. And there are a lot, you know, what are you going to do about your current house or apartment that you live in? What are you going to do about if you have kids? What are you going to do about their school? What are you going to do about health insurance? What are you going to do about getting a visa? Um, You know, all of these things are not, (laughs) they're not easy to do. They're very time consuming. Yeah. But they're not impossible either. And I will say France, France actually is not is not the easiest place to go as uh, if you're going in as like a freelancer, if that's the kind of visa that you're looking for. We got very lucky because my husband had a job offer. So I was able to come on like a spousal partner visa. But 
there are visas out there that are like business entrepreneur visas, self-employment visas, digital nomad visas. And there are some countries, some in Europe and some in different parts of the world that really want expats. They want you to come in there. And so if you can, in some of them, if you can, the visa requirements are just sort of like, you have to um, you have to show them you, that you're that you make a certain amount of money every month or every year or whatever it is, and you can get a visa to to work there for a period of time. In some places, they don't want you to come in necessarily if you're going to take a job from somebody who lives there from one of their citizens. But that's where food blocking is great because you can come in and be like, "Hey, I'm not I'm not taking anybody's job away. Like I have my own income." you know, I, I, it's already established. I'm not, you know, all I'm doing is coming to your country and I'm spending money (laughs) in your country. So, you know, so there are some places that actually make that pretty easy um, for you, which is fantastic. But, you know, that said, it, it is, it is hard to do. And then once you're there, I think for me, I expected the startup to be hard. Like I expected all of those logistics of just making it happen and oh we have a dog so I had to get the dog to France like <laughs> there's a there's a whole layer of <laughs> of bureaucracy on that too oh, but boy. I kind of expected like okay but you know once I get there the hard part is done and then I can just kind of like relax and enjoy being in France and that was not true that that I think was the part that was harder than I expected how long did it take you to adjust, do you think? I would say we actually did we did a trial run on this in 2015. We went over to France for like 7 months. We were going to do it for a year and we had some problems with the visas and anyway, we ended up only being there for 7 months and that at that trip like I went and by the time we left after seven months, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm just feeling comfortable here. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we have to move back. And so this time I had kind of had it in my head. Like, I know there's a long ramp up to like feeling comfortable. And so I was more prepared for it. I do think that is important to understand that, you know, you're not going to go in and like a month later be like, oh, yeah, I'm set up and everything's wonderful. Like, Uh, there's this thing called the expat curve, (laughs) which I just found hilarious. So one of my first dates, so my, my kids, my kids were, we, we put them in the American school in Paris, which is fantastic. It was so easy. There are, that's the other thing is if you have children, there are so many international schools out there and their um, population is sort of constantly turning over because they're all expats who are oh. in the school. Um, well, and there's a there was actually a big segment of French, uh, native French kids. But then the international kids are just constantly coming in and out. So it makes it easy for a kid to, you know, start a new class when most of their class is new anyway, or a lot of them are, so they don't sort of feel like the only new kid. Um, and they also have kind of a built-in community, a community of parents. They know how to, like get people in and feeling comfortable. And one of the first things they had is they had this, they invited all the new parents to come like sit down and they had these presentations about like, you know, how to get healthcare in France, like how to navigate the grocery store in France, how to do, you know, all these things. And this one person came on and they put the slide up on the, (laughs) on the screen and it was called the expat happiness curve. And, and we were all like, what? And it's like, it's like a giant U. And so you start, you start at the top of the U and there's like this honeymoon period where you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe we've made it. Like, this is fantastic. I am living the dream. Like I'm in France and I'm having cocktails on my you know, <laughs> terrace. And this is like the best thing ever. And then, um, and that sadly only lasts like a couple of months maybe. And then there's like this big dip. And the dip is like, when you realize like, Oh, God, actually, actually, this is really hard to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't speak this language that well, like, I feel very lonely. 
things are so hard. I kind of liken it to like when you have a baby and everything you do takes like 10 times longer than it would if you didn't have a baby. <laughs> like, you know, you go to the grocery store and suddenly like your 10 minute trip takes like an hour and you're, you know, constantly like fighting with the baby and yes. you know, getting away. And, it, and it's just like, Oh my God, how did I spend my whole day doing nothing? Um, that is sort of what it is to move to a foreign country <laughs> because oh boy. just, you know, everything takes so much longer than you think. Cause like, Okay, so you go to the grocery store, and nothing's in the same place as it is at home. So you don't know where anything is, you have to find where it is. And then they don't have, you know, your regular products. So it's like, okay, then you have to figure out like, all right, they don't have any of my cereal. So what cereal am I going to get? And then if you're looking for something in particular, like you often have to read the box to figure out like, what are the ingredients or like, how do I make this? And then you're trying to do that in another language. So it's like, Oh my gosh, oh gosh I don't this even, is stressing me out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to bring you down. But you know, so, so those kind of things are like, Oh gosh, this is really, really hard. And so that's why there's like this dip in the happiness curve. Mm -hmm. But then I will say that, you know, then you start to come out of that and you're like, okay, you know, now I've, I've got a handle on things. Like I know where my stuff is in the grocery store. Like I've found a doctor for my kids who speaks English. I've, you know, figured out some of the big pieces. Um, and you start to feel a little bit more comfortable. And then it's just the curve just like kind of keeps going up. Like you're adjusting, you're feeling more comfortable there. And, you know, I would say that it varies when you get to that sort of, um, happier, more comfortable piece, but it does take a while. And I, I don't know, I would say like six months to a year before you're feeling like, Hey, okay, I've got this and I'm good. Like this is this, I'm able to do this and I'm, you know, I'm happy for all the things I can do here. Let's take a quick break to talk about SideChef and their new affiliate program. SideChef is a free recipe cooking app that I have been using for the last decade, and I love it. It's a meal planner tool, and my favorite feature is the possibility to buy the ingredients from my favorite recipes with just one click, directly from their app or website. And they have some great news to share. They just launched their affiliate program, which offers you, foodie content creators, a new way of monetizing your food content by turning all your recipes shoppable. So how does it work? It's simple. You sign up to SideChef's recipe-based affiliate program, upload the recipe ingredients of the recipe you want to promote, and SideChef's online grocery technology will generate you a link that you can add to your webpage, social media posts, or wherever you want. Your fans will click on the link and all the ingredients will be matched to the products available at their local Walmart store. The best part is that you will receive a commission on each successful purchase. One important thing to note about this program is that there is no exclusivity or sharing of your content. You keep the ownership and control. SideChef just makes it easier for anyone to shop your delicious recipes. To learn more about SideChef's affiliate program, go to sidechef.com forward slash affiliate and apply today. Again, go to sidechef.com forward slash affiliate and apply today. Now back to the episode. It has to be a massive shock to the system. I mean, everything you were describing about being in the grocery store alone, that's not even to mention the other aspects of daily life. That's hard. Yeah. Like everything's different. Everything is in a, a, an odd place. You don't even know what you're reading. You don't even know what you're getting. Like that is, that's a huge deal. That's a big shock. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I think you you just have to, build in extra time. Like when you have a baby, like you just have to kind of know, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not gonna try to rush through this, like I am able to, you know, get things done so quickly in my regular life. Like, you just have to kind of know, okay, I can't do that here. And <laughs> I had a friend who I met when we were there. And we would kind of um, trade stories about, you know, what had happened that week, like, that, you know, we, we tried to take the metro and like there was a strike and we couldn't get on the metro or like, you know, I tried to get, I tried to have a French conversation with somebody at the market and they like responded to me in English and, you know, just all the like <laughs> small insults that would happen. And she would say to me, she'd go, Paris wins. 
Paris always wins. <laughs> and it was just like our way of saying like, yeah, you know, sometimes you're just, you're not going to win that day and it's okay. <laughs> Things will get better. Yeah. That's a great attitude to have. So you mentioned finding a friend there. How do you find good support when you're completely new to a place? Yeah, I mean, that that is hard to do. But I, I would say that now, just, you know, with the world as it is, there are actually so many more ways to find people um, than, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, if you were to move to a foreign country. A lot of my network came from the school community that, you know, we were lucky enough that um, the American school there was just wonderful in terms of engaging its parents and planning things for parents to do to kind of get to know each other. And that that was where I found my main support network. But I would also say there are like Facebook is really good for things like that. I was part of like an expats in Paris Facebook group, English speaking Facebook group. And, you know, people would post things in there all the time, like, you know, how did you guys deal with this? Or I'm looking for this. Have you seen this in Paris? Um, and that was so helpful because, you know, if you have, sometimes you just have some random question and you know, somebody has had the same one, but you don't know how to find them. Um, and so groups like that are great. I think language classes are really good. I met some friends through taking French lessons because, you know, there again, you're going to find mostly English speakers who are trying to learn the language as you are. Um, and so that's a good place to find people. There's meetups for like English speakers in different, um, different subject areas, like, you know, um, yoga classes or, you know, hiking groups or whatever you happen to be interested in. I think it's actually fairly easy to find sort of like-minded people um, who speak English in the, in the place that you are, if, if that's what you're looking for. A great subtitle for this episode would be just prioritize relationships. That's kind of the theme of everything yeah. that you're saying is when right. you prioritize relationships, things get easier, things get better, better, they get happier. They're just more enjoyable. So I love that that theme is kind of coming out of this. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the kid thing and having great schools, access to great schools. What are some other pros and cons of bringing kids abroad? Yeah. I mean, I, for me, I thought it was just fantastic. Like they, you know, kids take in everything and being able to expose them to a different part of the world, I think is just so valuable. Um, because, you know, them like us, you know, they they get into a routine, and they look around their lives where they live most of the time. And they think like, this is how everyone lives. Um, you know, even though obviously, there's movies, there's books, they know that not everybody lives exactly the way they do. But being plopped into a different, a different country, it really like that. And then it's like personal experience, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, not everything is the way it was where I used to live. And I think that that kind of experience is just so valuable, because it, I mean, it makes you more accepting of other people, it makes you, you know, kind of less stuck in your own little bubble of what people should be like, or what life should be like. Um, and so I think like giving kids that experience is just, it's just so valuable because it, it also makes them question things that they might not agree with in their daily life. Like when they can look around and see like, oh, not everybody does it like this. So why do I have to do it like this? Or, you know, why it does my school, why is my school so stressful and like, have such an emphasis on grades, like that wasn't the way in, you know, a different culture. And so I think that kind of thing, you know, is just like a helping them to, to, to question things, which I think is just so valuable. Like that, that is a skill set I really want my kids to have. 
That speaks to me so much because I mentioned earlier about just kind of being a little bit of a rebel with the way things are and not necessarily going with the flow with a lot of things. And one of those things has to do with my kids and social media and phones and like constantly being on smartphones. And it makes me want to scream because I refuse to give in. My boys are the literally the only boys in their schools who do not have smartphones. They don't have phones at all. Good for you. <laughs> and I refuse to get them because I don't know, just that thing, like everyone has one. That's not a good reason for me to buy a phone for them. I know where they're at most of the time. And when I don't, they can figure out how to find a phone and call me. So I just, yeah, that type of culture really calls to me. And it makes me really frustrated to be in a society where everyone just goes along with the flow just because and it's stressful and everyone accepts that. So I kind of feel like I need to move. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I will say kids were just as addicted to their phones in France as they are. See, I was going to ask you that. That's good to hear. Okay. Yeah. Although I will also say like older kids, well, not even kids, like, you know, when, when I would go out in the afternoons and I would see like kids after school and like older, like high school type kids, you know, a lot of them were at the little restaurants at the terraces, like having like a Coke with their friends mm, I love that, and or wine in some cases, because the drinking age is, is less there. But you know, yeah. there, I, I just think they weren't all staring at a screen. Like they were talking to each other. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say that that's like completely different from the U.S., but because everybody certainly did have a phone there. But I just I do think that same that there was more I saw more connection there than I see when I go out and see young people today. So even though they do have smartphones, there's something in society that's teaching them that connection is more important than technology and the relation quote relationships that they find online and through social media. There's something there. I think so. I mean, I, I certainly could be wrong, but just from my, you know, my perceptions of what I saw, I, I think that's true. I really hope nobody gets mad at me for being so mad about kids with cell phones because <laughs> I know like that is the majority. And I just want to say, I get it. You know, your kids come home and they're like, but everyone in school has a cell phone. And literally, that's true. So, I mean, I'm not saying that you're a bad parent or anything like that. I 100% understand it. But for my kids, I just feel like that is the way I want to parent them. Like, I do not understand why I need to buy you a phone. So, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, I don't want to make anyone mad with that. (laughs) (laughs) I I think people understand. And I don't think, I honestly don't think anybody would really argue with you, frankly. Right. I know. It's a hot topic, but mm-hmm. uh, lights a fire under me. Okay. I Let's see. What else was I going to ask you? Would you do it again? I would. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. In a heartbeat. Like, I, I loved it. I loved it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that having gotten through my sort of downward curve of the, of the culture shock piece of the expat curve. Yeah. But, um, no, I absolutely would do it again. I I will say that I did a lot of thinking about like what ages are best if you do have kids who you're going to take with oh, yeah. you. Because I think there's pros and cons of different ages. I think it can be easier to take the kids when they're really young because, you know, they don't, <laughs> they're not going to argue with you about it. And right. you can just kind of take them and, and there's... Um, and, and that's, and that's great. Um, but I think, and then when you have older kids, like teenage and up, it gets really hard to take them because, you know, I don't know, maybe some kids would be on board with it, but a lot of kids by that point, you know, they're really, they're involved in sports at their high school or they're, you know, very, very close with their friends and they don't, you know, the thought of leaving their friends for two years just seems crazy. Um, so I feel like there's sort of a sweet spot in like the, I don't know, seven to 11 
age range um, where you have kids that like they're less, they're able to take care of themselves more than the babies. So you're not like lugging them around everywhere and you know, they're not throwing tantrums on your, (laughs) your restaurant dinners anymore and they can read. And so like, you know, you can take them to a museum and um, they can get something out of that experience and they will remember when, you know, when you leave and, and you're not there anymore, they will remember their experience. Um, the, the first time when we went in t- 2015, my youngest was five and she was just at the cusp. Like she doesn't, um. she doesn't remember most of our time there. And you know, every now and then I'll say like, but don't you remember like when we did this or, you know, this person should be like, nope, nope. that's crazy. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's hard to feel like you, you know, you had this great experience and then they don't even remember it. So I feel like having kids in that kind of, you know, like older kid through preteen range before they get like really cranky and teenage <laughs> <laughs> is a really good, a good time to do it. Um, but honestly, I would, you know, I would do it. I would do it again any any time. Mm, I love hearing that having gone through kind of the ups and downs and those periods where you're like, what am I doing? You still would go back and do it again. So that's really encouraging. So speaking to not just people who would consider a huge move like this mm-hmm. internationally, but maybe to a smaller move, whether that's doing what my husband and I did and selling our home and buying an RV and traveling Mm -hmm. for a little bit. Um, I know Eric from, he's a food blogger at Eat Like No One Else. He and his family have been traveling in an RV for at least a year, maybe more. That's all they do. They live out of their RV. Like um, They have children. He and his wife have a family and they just travel around the US. So something like that, or even moving to a new city, Mm -hmm. just a big move to another place where you've never lived or even been. These are all like really big things. But the great thing about being a food blogger is that you can Mm -hmm. do this as long as you have a spouse who has the ability to be mobile as well, obviously. Um, So speaking to all of those people, give them a little bit of encouragement to answer that question that you said earlier, not the question, but the statement, I would love to, but, and then there's an excuse So I want you to encourage people to get past that butt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I will say, and I, I think this is, this is true, whether you're going to, you know, make a big international move or you're going to, you know, do something smaller scale, but still, you you know, get out of your little area where you're in at the moment. Um, I feel like I felt so alive while we were there because you're constantly being bombarded by new things like new new foods, new people, new things to look at. And that really energized me in a way that I hadn't felt before that, you know, I, you know, I, I love where we live right now. And I love my life here. It's very nice. And you know, I'm very, I'm happy here. But, you know, there's a there's a difference when you feel like, just like, all of your senses are suddenly alive, and you're thinking in a way that you, you don't have to think (laughs) when you just go about your daily life, and you go to your same grocery store, and you, you know, pick up your kids from the same, you know, sports practice, and you, (laughs) you're doing the same things over and over again. And when you get out of that, and you're in a different place and you, your brain has to like, has to be on. It has to, to, to be noticing new things, different things. Um, I think that is just, you know, energizing to your spirit, to your business, to your, you know, your job as a food blogger. Like it is um, something that just that feeling of like, just feeling alive is so, worthwhile doing whatever it takes to get that. And I think you can get it. I don't think you need to move internationally. You know, I think you can get it, as you said, by, you know, like renting an RV for the summer, or taking, you know, deciding like, I'm gonna go and rent an Airbnb in a different city, 
you know, and I'm going to put my house on, you know, maybe turn your house into an Airbnb or put it on home exchange or something. And, you know, I'm going to go for a month and live in this city, or I'm going to go for a couple weeks and I'm going to, you know, work during the day and I'm, but I'm going to explore this new town, you know, over holiday break, if you have kids or over the summer, you know, I, I think that stuff is, is totally doable. Um, but it really takes the, what it takes is you sitting down and saying, this is what I want to do because it takes time to make it happen. And you have to, you know, stop yourself and say, Hey, I want to do this. So I'm going to plan it and make it happen. So first of all, you have to have that voice telling you that maybe this is something that would inspire you or um, inspire creativity or something in your life that you need or could thrive on. And then you need to decide, which is a key word, you need to make the decision to do it. And then you need to have the courage to actually follow through. And I loved your words earlier. I wrote them down here. Anything that you have in your mind to do like this is difficult. It might be difficult, but it's so doable. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I love all of this inspiration and I hope that people are inspired by it because it just like that feeling that you're talking about, about feeling alive and oh my gosh. Yeah. Like totally challenging your system yeah. in ways like you're talking about does make you feel alive in so many different ways. Yeah. So cool. I, you know, the other thing that occurred to me is, you know, part of what what I think we got out of our France experience was like not just a different country, but a different type of living. Like we live currently, we live in the suburbs of a, of a city and we have a house and we have a backyard and we have a very suburban neighborhood and we moved into a city where we were in an apartment and, you know, everything was smaller and we, you know, we didn't have a big backyard. We didn't have a car. And the difference of like city life and suburban life is huge. And, you know, you don't need to go, you don't need to travel to France for that. (laughs) You know, you could decide like, you know, why don't we, you know, we're going to go live in, in this city, like in a city itself and see what it's, see what city life is like. Or, you know, maybe we're going to like pick some super, you know, remote, like we're going to go live on a farm for a little while. Like, I think just those kind of experiences can be really, um, they can really shake up your system and, and make you in some ways, like appreciate what you have that you didn't realize you appreciated. And in some ways realize like, oh, wow, gosh, this, I didn't realize this was a, a way to live. And, and I like this part about being in this kind of place. Don't you feel like, too, it's an opportunity to stay young, just shaking yeah. up your system and doing new things. It keeps you on your toes. It keeps you learning new things and growing yeah. and can totally keep you young. I feel like there are some older people in my family who they lived like on the other extreme of that, like just really safe, didn't like change, stayed in one spot, did not like to be shaken up at all. And just, yeah, like lived that sort of life. And now they're kind of paying the price for that. Like they're deteriorating quickly. They're not sharp anymore. Just things like that. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I totally do. I really do think you need to change things up and keep yourself you know, engaged and motivated by new things, or you do, you do slow down. I I think there, I think you're totally right. You gotta, you gotta kind of push yourself to, to get out and keep those brain cells moving in some way. Right. Pushing yourself that is required because if you don't push yourself, nobody's going to push you. Right. I mean, maybe you have a spouse or a friend who's, who will, but I think that's pretty rare, but you've got to push yourself. So if you have that inkling, to do something different like Molly's talking about, do it, just do it. Like find the courage, push yourself a little bit and make a change. Oh, I love this conversation so much. Thank you so much, Molly. This was so fun. Yeah, Yeah, totally. You are inspiring. And if you do move abroad again, please let me know. I want to hear how that goes. And um, I'd love to. Yeah, we just appreciate you sharing your story and encouraging all of us. So thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, my pleasure. 
Um, so before you go, do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with? I do. Yes. My quote is this. Man cannot discover new oceans unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. Oh, that's so, so fitting. I really like that. I love that. Yeah. This is by Andre Guide. Um, he's a French author, which is fitting too. But, I, you know, to me, that quote just means like, you, you can't, you don't even know what your full potential is if you don't ever get out of your comfort zone, right? Like if you don't, if you don't ever push yourself past the, the daily grind and where you are comfortable right now, you, who knows what you could do, what you could be, what you could create, if you could just, you know, get yourself out of that. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard. But you know, that's how you discover those new oceans. You, you cannot, you can't, you can't stay close to shore. Gotta let go, right? Let go of your mm -hmm. vision of the shoreline. You just need to let go of that and then good things will come. I love that. I love how yeah. my guests lately have been tying their quotes into the themes of our chats, which is so mm -hmm. cool. I don't ask you to do that, but it just naturally has started happening, which <laughs> I love. So that was yeah. perfect. We'll put together yeah. a show notes page for you, Molly. So if you want to go peek at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash vanilla bean cuisine. Tell everyone where they can find you on your blog and on social media. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty easy. I'm vanilla bean cuisine everywhere. So on the web, Instagram, perfect. Pinterest, it's all vanilla bean cuisine. Well, thank you again so much for inspiring us today, Molly. It was such a pleasure. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.